Union Jack, the home of great British comedy. Fiddle your knob and find Union Jack on DAB Radio, online, on the app, and on that Alexa woman. You got a catchphrase? Do you start with? No, I don't have a catchphrase. Okay. okay. My dad said I should, you know, when I was young, he told me I should get one because you need one in show business. Do you say what channel it's on? Um, yeah, Union Jack Radio, but they've got all sort of jingles and things that do that for you. Right. So. Okay. On digital radio across the UK, on the Union Jack app, and on that Alexa lady. This is Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello and welcome to the series finale of Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. So in this series we've had Tom Rosenthal, Susie Ruffle, Rosie Jones, Ed Gamble, Ian Lee, Paul Young, Marcus Brigstock, all take me on a trip down memory lane. Not all at the same time. That would be exhausting. And memory lane is a somewhat narrow lane and uh, it, it wouldn't be right to go down it mob-handed. But you can hear all those chats in the same place that you listen to this podcast right now. And before you feel a deep sense of sorrow, because this is the final episode of the series, I have a very special treat. Our final guest is me. That isn't the special treat, though. The treat is that guiding me down memory lane is former Labour leader, sandwich enthusiast, and my podcast buddy, Ed Miliband. He agreed to be on the show on one condition, that he got to interview me. He's very controlling. Um, So for today's Hometown Glory, Ed Miliband is in the driving seat. I am in the passenger seat. I've got the window wound down. I've got my head out like an enthusiastic Labrador. And he's taking me, Jeff Lloyd, back to the streets where I grew up. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. So welcome to Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. I'm not Jeff Lloyd. I am, in fact, Ed Miliband. Uh, I was leader of the Labour Party, as some of you may know, but I am also still an MP, but I am also Jeff Lloyd's co-presenter on a podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful, and I've taken over. It's a it's a military coup. Uh, <laughs> a military Miliband uh, coup. Exactly. Um, against against uh, Jeff, because I'm interviewing, I'm doing the interviewing this week, uh, and Jeff's doing the answering. We're talking about his hometown glory. Jeff Lloyd, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's 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 good. I'm 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 enjoying the takeover already. <laughs> uh, let, let's start as you normally do with um t- with you telling uh, our list your listeners or our listeners uh, about your hometown. Where is it? What's it known for? So I was born in Withington in Manchester, I believe, in the very same hospital as your wife. So if they ever want to do a blue plaque, they could both put both of us uh, on there. But uh, my, my double, home... Double plaquing. Exactly. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, definitely. It is now. Um, but I, my hometown from about six weeks old is Macclesfield, which is about 20 miles south of Manchester. Uh, it's known as the Silk Town. It's very important in the production. I've never, we never really learned about it at school, but there is a silk museum. And when they opened a new bypass, that was called the Silk Road. And um, people from Macclesfield include Brian Redhead. Right. 
former presenter of the yes. Today programme on Radio 4. Sadly deceased. Nick Robinson, presenter of the Today programme. Right. Now, isn't that strange? Two presenters of the Today programme. Well, I think Nick Robinson knew Brian Redhead's family. I think his, he might have even been at school with his son. Ah. So there's a coincidence there. So... You, you you lived in Macclesfield from six weeks old. Take take us to your first address. So my first address was number 28 Hatton Street. Yes. Uh, which is quite close to the town centre. I lived there from, you know, when I, when I was taken home to uh, when I was about 11. It was an end terrace. It was next door to the Labour Exchange. Now, fans of music will be interested to hear that it was the same Labour Exchange where Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division, worked, which I had no idea when I was a kid. I lived two streets away from him, but they, they made a film about his life um, 10 or so years ago called Control. And they used the streets where I grew up. So it was really lovely because it was set in the late 70s. And it just watching it, it just looked exactly the same as my childhood. It was because it made it look like my childhood. So yeah, I live next door to the Labour Exchange. And what um, was your first memory? My first memory. I don't know if it's real or not. So, you know, you when a story yeah. gets told so many times at a family, but my first memory is going to Blackpool, being allowed to go in the paddling pool, my dad turning his back and then me laying down in the paddling pool with all my clothes on. Right. Yeah, so that's my, that's my earliest memory. But I don't know if that, you and know. How old would you have been? Sort of, sort of three, something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and what was your family set up? Well, so my... Um, Mum and dad, I had a brother and sister who came later. I've got a brother who's four years younger than I am. I've got a sister who is six years younger than I am. And um, But I'm from a big, big family. So my mum is from 12 brothers and sisters. 12? Wow. Yes. And my dad is from seven. Wow. So I've got all these aunties and uncles and cousins. I've got cousins who, when I was a kid, they were grown-ups. You know, first cousins as well. If wow. we ever would have these big family parties and, you know, I, w- I wouldn't know some of them. Yeah, there were yeah, so many yeah. of them, yeah. And uh, what did your mum and dad do for a living? So my dad was postman. Right. Um... And my mum was a lots nurse. Lots of rubber bands? Yeah, I mean, they're great perks. Uh, you get lots of rubber bands. Uh, I also got to go in the back of the post office van a lot. Oh, but that was good. It was good. I mean, uh, he would always tell me to keep my head down in case his boss saw me. What's your dad's name? He's called Jeff Lloyd too. Jeff Lloyd 2. <laughs> no, I mean, technically, Jeff I'm Jeff two. Lloyd 2. He's Jeff Lloyd 1. Um, when, when I was a kid, like people a bit older when I was a teenager, people would ring our house and say, hi, can I speak? You know, girls would ring your house or whoever, probably not girls in my yeah. case, probably, you know, just other nerds from school. And they say, is Jeff there, please? And my dad would go, big Jeff or little Jeff? Sarah? Which was quite embarrassing as a, a teenager. But yeah, so, so my mum calls me Junior. And your mum's name? She's called Rita. Yes. And she was a nurse. And, and I've met Rita. Yeah. And she's, uh, she worked as a, a nurse all her career. All her sisters worked in the NHS, actually. Every from Seven sisters, they all worked in the NHS. And the perks of my mum's job was she would bring home syringes that we could use as water pistols. And she later worked on the coronary care ward. And you know the, the old ECG machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would sort of have a little pen recording yeah. people's heartbeats. When those were finished, she would bring home like rolls of rolls of this stuff for us to use it as colouring in paper. Wow. Which I don't know if that would conform to modern GDPR but standards. Am I right in thinking that you were adopted? Yes, yes. So I don't know anything about my natural parents and my parents adopted me at five, six weeks Which old. is why you were born in the hospital in Manchester. That's right, yeah. Exactly. But I don't know anything about have them. Have you ever been tempted to find out? Well, when I was a kid I used to think about it a lot. My mum and dad would always say, especially my mum would always say, well, you know, when you're 18 if you want to yeah. find your 
your your real parents, then you know we'll help you. And then apparently, I I, I mean, my mum tells this as if it's a scene from a film. But on my 18th birthday, she came in to wish me happy birthday, and I said, "Mum, you're the only mum for me." I don't, wow. but I don't remember saying that. It sounds so like you've never something been she's tempted. made up. Not really, no. Yeah, I've I've done some of those um, tests where you spit in a test tube and send it off, and you can look at your DNA. And right. there, there are, it seems that I'm. I've got the least exotic DNA of anybody you could meet. I'm 99.2% British and Irish with sort of 0.8% broadly Northern European. It's very unexotic, but everybody... It sound unexotic. Well, it is. I bet if you right. did yours, you'd have all sorts right. of stuff in there. Um, but everyone's sort of clustered around the, the um, sort of Northern counties of Ireland. Right. And do you think you might in later life? Because obviously you were relatively young. Uh, <laughs> I don't uh, think so. I do think about it because I think, you know, probably my, my natural parents are, are getting on a bit. They might even not be around. It is weird sometimes to think that I've got brothers and sisters or some people wandering around who are perhaps unfortunate enough to look like me. Yeah. But I don't know. I probably probably not. So Pandora's, you never know, do you? It's a bit of a Pandora's box. Yes. What if they were terrible? Well, they probably wouldn't be. You're, you're, a nice, you're a nice guy. So but is it nurture or nature, Ed? Well, that's true, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose that's true. They might be really nice. They might be, but I don't know. I Do you mean, think you would create a conflict with your... I think my mum and dad would be fine, but right. also how could you not feel a bit insecure? You've been someone's yeah. parent for the whole life, and then they say, right, I'm going to go and find someone yeah. else. It, you know, as, as supportive as you would want to be, it could, would feel a bit weird as well, wouldn't it? Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello again, don't worry, no annoying adverts on this podcast. It's just me popping up to tell you a bit more about Union Jack Radio. Basically, it's uh, it's a radio station that plays just the best British bangers that you pick. Yes, uh, they've got an app, you can vote songs up and down in real time, the one with the most votes plays. And they are also the home of great British comedy, of course, featuring talent like Ed Gamble and Tom Rosenthal in this series but Union Jack also features classic comedy clips from stuff like Blackadder and Faulty Towers so make sure you you uh, you use your digital radio to locate Union Jack Radio or just head to the website or grab the Union Jack app or, or ask that Alexa woman anyway back to the show Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio so, so who else was around when you were growing up? Oh, just, all these aunts and uncles and... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like 18 of them or something. Yeah, yeah. And they 17. all, apart from my Auntie Mary, who lived um, 10 miles away in Hazel Grove, everybody lived in walking distance. So Amazing. So sort of like everybody was around Amazing. all the time. Um so, and, and so the two families, my mum's family, dad's family, had, had the various matriarchs. My mum's mum was Maggie. Maggie Barton, right. who was tiny, and um, she would turn up at a house with tin food, right. you know, to do a bit when we right. were little, and she'd take me to the milk bar. She was bar. the sister of your... She was my mum's mum, Maggie. Oh, sorry, your mum's yeah. mum, right. And then my dad's mum was Bessie, and she was an eccentric woman who had previously worked in the, the mental hospital in Macclesfield. There were two famous mental hospitals in the Manchester area, Macclesfield and Presswich, and she'd worked as a cleaner in there, and she swore blind that there was a woman who turned into a cow on a full moon. And this was my grandma who just worked there. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't in there. It was very sort of old-fashioned yeah. Victorian asylum-style hospital, if you know what I mean, though. So was it quite um, sort of 
loud was it a loud kind of loud upbringing or yeah so like family parties around yeah there'd always be a party there'd always be you know someone turning 21 or somebody getting married or a christening or, and I, I loved all that which is weird because as an adult i hate nothing more than a party but i used to really love family parties my uncle melvin was uh, my dad's brother was a mobile dj he had a, a mobile disco called the pony express mobile disco and he would let me at family parties he had a foot pedal which made the lights pre- uh, lights flash and I would get to go and um, you know operate that which was a big treat he also told me my dad when I was a kid he, he told me that my uncle Melvin knew somebody who could convert our loft into a TARDIS and uh, he could build me a robot canine from Doctor Who Aww. and he kept promising me that it was happening and saying look they're just drawing up the blueprints Aww. and it never happened Dad. Um what about music was that part of your childhood yeah so we never had albums but my dad would have a box of singles and he sort of prides himself on being able to pick a number one but like often those songs were terrible so I don't know if you're familiar with a song called Honey I Miss You which was a really saccharine 70s song about a man who meets a woman and they get married and they buy a puppy and they plant a tree and they're living this idyllic life and then by the end of the middle of the song she starts to cough a bit and then by the end of the song she's dead and the tree is still growing I mean he, he would like really like mawkish records that tell a story um but the one i remember being on a lot of being obsessed with as a kid was elton john goodbye yellow brick road yeah and we had it on a single and i would i'd play it at 33 rather than 45 wow. because i'd want to slow it down so that i could write the words down oh. so you know that so that, you were into music from quite an early yeah age. i think that's the song that that most reminds me of being dead young and your primary school, where was what was it, and where do you what do you remember about it? So my primary school was Byron Street County Primary School. Uh, it was about a, a, a fifteen minute walk from our house. I'd go with my cousin Rachel, who's three months older than I am, and my mum and my auntie Eileen would walk us there every day, and. You know, it being the north, it could get really cold in the winter and, you know, we'd, we'd either be soaking wet through or we'd be freezing. And there was this one house on the way there where there was a brick. It was an end terrace and there was, there was a brick on the wall where you could put your hand against it. And there must have been a fire or a radiator or something behind it. And you could just warm your hand on this one brick. And somebody had very helpfully written hot on the brick. So it was the hot brick. So it's like wow. halfway between our house and school, you get to stop and wow, put your hands on the hot memory. brick. So yeah. Um, but it was the same school. I think both my mum and dad had gone to right. when they were little. And then later in life, you took people back for a tour of the hot brick and it <laughs> yeah. turned out not to be there. Didn't go well. So for years, I would mention this hot brick on the radio yeah. and it sort of took, took on a, a mythical yeah. status. So like the TARDIS. It did. Yeah, so yeah. so I said, I was going to, listeners would say, where is the hot brick? I'm going to Macclesfield or I'm going to Manchester. Can you tell me this? So I said, why don't we do a coach trip to the hot brick, which we did. And, um, and we got to it and then I was touching the wall and it wasn't hot anymore. It didn't say hot on it. It didn't say hot. And we went round to the front of the house and it was very northern because there was a fella in a vest who wouldn't answer his door. But he stood like with the window, like peeping out of the, the well, sash maybe window. Maybe he was slightly put off by a coach trip. Well, there were about, yeah, about 20 odd people. Yeah. But he said it used to be hot and then they moved, moved, the fire, moved the gas fire. But then I had all these people who were so disappointed. Yeah. I'd been leading them like Moses leading the Israelites. Yeah. And I had to try and I made a big speech about how maybe the hot brick was in their hearts all along. Or do they? Say? Well, they still look quite disappointed. Really, it didn't didn't watch yeah. with them. Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. Favorite teacher at primary school? Um, 
I, I like them all, really. I told my wife recently that something and, and she said, you know, that's really strange. And it hadn't occurred to me that it was strange. But in the school holidays, I used to look up my teachers in the phone book and then just ring them for a chat. Which I, I don't think many of sweet. Well, I sort of miss them during the holidays. How old were you? I don't know, like six, seven, eight. What I don't did know. They, how did they react? Well, I mean, I I remember it being fine, but like if I think about what what it must have been like being a teacher answering your home phone, and then there's a kid on the other line just ringing to see how your holidays are going. I think it must have been quite strange. What did your parents think about it? Well, you know, I think I was in a, in a way quite a sort of an eccentric child, so I think it just went with the territory. But there was a, how this, else were you eccentric? Um. I mean, I, I, here's, here's an example of how I was eccentric. I was obsessed with Doctor Who. So instead of just sort of en- enjoying Doctor Who, I wanted to be Doctor Who. So my mum, you know, she tried to knit me one of the scarves like Tom Baker but, uh, wore and that didn't work out. And then so eventually I, I got for Christmas one of these scarves and the floppy hat and a coat. And we went to Chester Zoo and I insisted on wearing the Doctor Who Costume to Doctor to Chester Zoo. So far, so normal, right? Not that eccentric. Little weird, but not that eccentric. I then would go round other children, sort of offering them jelly babies, and as if I was Doctor Who, and they were lucky enough to sort of meet Doctor Who. I think that's that weird. Well, I mean, I remember some kids sort of pointing and laughing, saying, "Look, that kid thinks he's Doctor Who, and he isn't. What an idiot!" Oh, what at Chester Zoo? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, not yeah. Just not kids in your school. no, no, just sort of strangers going up to strangers uh, as if I was in fact Tom Baker. Yeah, you know, sort of stuff like that. Really, sound that. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think I was. Mad axe no, it's, it's, I think I was eccentric compared to the other kids I was around. So the thing I always say is like, so I was obsessed with books, and my parents would encourage that, but it was also seen as a novelty that I would like reading a book. So it was all a bit. Well, look at him with his book. Yeah, like that was a strange thing to do. Whereas maybe like in your house when you were growing up, like everyone was reading books. What, what kind of books would you? What was your favourite? <sighs> I mean, I, I, I just sort of read. Anything. I was in the the book club. The you you pay a little bit of money and then you get books every month. So I'd get, read whatever was sent. I'd read science fiction books. Um, just just what, mysteries. Yeah, I mean, Hard, just the Hardy Enid Blyton. Yeah, boys? not the Hardy Boys. I never read that. Oh. But I mean, I, I sort just of, William. Less so. I always had a bit of a beer in my bonnet when I was a kid about anything that seemed too posh. So I couldn't stand yeah. Blue Peter because it felt like it was aimed at posh kids. Really? And not, yeah. Why did you think that? Because, they'd, you know, when they were making things, they'd say, okay, you need to go and find a bay leaf and a pipe cleaner. Oh, things see. that you wouldn't have in your house. And it just as a, as a ve- very young kid, I remember having this sense that a lot of the programs on the TV, the families weren't like ours. They were so posh. But I think it's given me a chip on my shoulder. Right, you know about Blue Peter or more just, yeah. <laughs> just about posh people. You know, it's, it's 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 not good. But we had a teacher called Mister Southworth who wrote his own Lord of the Rings Hobbit style fantasy, and instead of reading as you know actual books, he would read as his own stories, which, as far as I can tell, were never published and probably with good reason. And then we had a teacher called Miss Olman who was you know the scary, firm but fair teacher. Sounds uh, quite good. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a happy childhood? I think so. You know, like, I think you have a tendency as an adult to focus on all the things that have made you terribly neurotic. So you can zoom in on these memories. So I remember um, in assembly one morning at school, we learnt about Vincent van Gogh. 
and my dad had this record. Do you remember Don McLean, Vincent, Starry, Starry Night, Paint Your yeah, Palette, Blue yeah. and Grey? So so I was excited because we had a record about Vincent yeah. van Gogh. So I went and told the teacher, I've got a record about yeah. it. She said, why don't you bring it in tomorrow? So the, the next morning was like the proudest morning of my life. I got to sit in front of the school during assembly, sort of cross-legged. And then at the end, she said, all right, everybody, you remember last, yesterday we learned about Vincent van Gogh? Well, Jeffrey Lloyd from Class 4 has brought in a song about it and we're all going to listen to it. And I got to pick that record up I got to put it on the record player put the needle on and then everybody had to sit for three and a half minutes and listen to it and I felt so proud I was just yeah. sitting there beaming ear to ear as we were then filing back into class I heard Claire Topham two people go behind me go that record was rubbish and like the whole memory the whole memory is just tainted with sadness now because I felt like you know it just felt like I'd embarrassed myself have you seen Claire Topham since no I haven't I've tried to find you her on Facebook remember, you do remember her name oh yeah yeah She's on my list. Wow. Of people Is to seek vengeance on. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello. You've got Union Jack posters, Union Jack pencils, and now you've got a Union Jack radio station. We play the best of British music. The best of British comedy. I have a cunning plan to solve the problem. <laughs> and, well, just the best of British. Ruddy Nora! You're welcome. Now be a dear and put that kettle on. Union Jack. Playing the best of British. Who's your best friend? Tristan Maddox. Right. Who was also really into Doctor Who. Um, so that in was in touch with him? A little bit on Facebook, actually. And I'd, I'd like to... He lives in Brighton and we keep meaning to see each other. But... Um, I've got a photograph of the two of us in a TARDIS tent on, you know, maybe my eighth Aww. birthday or something. And he, he was also a, a ginger. So he was a... Was that an issue? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's always something, isn't there? You're going to get picked on and... Uh, I'm sorry about that. Well, it wasn't you doing the pick. I mean, maybe you wouldn't. No. Did you ever pick on a ginger child? No. You don't seem the type. No. Yeah. Um, I just feel sort of vicariously sorry for you. <laughs> um, but Trist- Tristan um, used to say, like, he was... He was like very much my. He was bookish, not ginger. Ginger. Oh, he was also yeah. He ginger, was also sorry, ginger. Right. So we had that. We had like a little bit of rivalry about who the first one to get the latest Star Wars toy or Doctor Who book would be. But um, he also would say strange things. Like he claimed his dad was in Pink Floyd, which I've done subsequent research and I don't think his dad was in Pink Floyd. If I may ask, when would you were you first aware that you were adopted, and when did you know what it meant? I don't remember not knowing. Yeah. Um, that's, pretty, that's quite good on your parents because that is what you're supposed to do, I think. Yeah, I think... They're not supposed to sort of break it to a child at the age of 15. No, right? no. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, there's no way of it not seeming... Like, now, when I think about it, being a kid and being told yeah. I was adopted, it just seemed really normal and I felt like I was in a really loving family yeah, and it didn't great. matter. And then I'd think about... Like, as an adult, I think, okay, so say I was five or six and I was told that, how can you process that information as a child and it not affect you in some way? So I think it's inevitable that it does. But I think... As, the fact that you don't have a memory of it, though, suggests that it wasn't sort of broken to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Sort of revealed. yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'd have, sort of, like, if I look at other things around it, so I'd lay in bed at night with this sort of paranoia that everybody, when I went to bed, kind of got to get, 
together and revealed them true self that true selves or like everyone else was aliens and I wasn't you know this kind of sort of low level yeah. paranoia so I wonder if there was a little bit of a feeling of being an outsider but what sort of kid were you at the age of say seven well obsessed with um Doctor Who, sci- Doctor Who science fiction you know Star Wars like if you know these days there's all these conversations about how much screen time yeah you should let your kids yeah, have. yeah. I feel like the other member of our family and my best friend in our family TV. was the television. I mean, you had a colour telly? Yeah, I remember getting a colour telly. Like, I remember the black and white one early on, but I was obsessed with the Muppet show. I was obsessed with anything still to do are. with science. I still am, yeah. Anything to do with science fiction. Um, and again, like, here's an eccentricity. So I remember being at primary school, probably around seven, and them saying, okay, this term you can do a project on whatever you want. And some people would do football and some people would do racing cars and maybe some people would do astronauts i did a project on the the human ear what 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 seven-year-old would would choose to do that you yes uh, so th- th- this is this yeah. sort of little eccentricity. So what about sport? You weren't very sporty. No, there was one time when everybody had mumps when I got to play for the school team. Football. Yeah, and I think we lost sort of like 14 nil or something like that. But my dad is really into football. Um, he's a Leeds United fan for some reason because we didn't grow up near Leeds. And um, when I was a kid, if I would come in the room when either Leeds United or... Um, England were playing he'd shout at me to get out because I was a jinx really yeah in a way that was offensive well uh, you know bugger off get out you're a jinx oh, I see. you know that kind of Friendly. thing so, yes but it, it does sounds make, quite loving yes but it makes me think that that maybe my dislike of sport and football yeah. perhaps stems from that especially when my brother was one of these footballing prodigies and my dad trained to be an FA coach uh, just so that he could coach my brother because right. he thought he was going to be a uh, Going to be a football star. It's quite loving the family. Yeah, definitely. Demonstrative. My mum is extremely demonstrative. My dad is the least demonstrative. I think he's really good with little kids, but he's the least demonstrative person you could meet. Even if, even now, if I tried to hug him, right. he, he recoils in horror. Really? Yeah. And there was one time, he I can only remember one time in my life him telling me that he loved me. And it was when I was in my 30s. They thought I'd maybe had a brain hemorrhage and I was in hospital. And my dad had to tell me that he loved me. And it was just the because he thought maybe I was going to die, I think. And, you know, bless him, but it's not something that easily fell out of his mouth. You didn't know. Like, it was more traumatic seeing my dad tell me that he loved me than it was thinking that I might die from a brain hemorrhage. Which you didn't. Which I didn't. I'm here. No, but I'm, you wasn't a brain hemorrhage. No, no, right. not quite sure what That's it was. reassuring. Um, what did you get up to when you weren't at school? Um, I was never like a big one for school discos or anything. No, I remember. Do you remember Adam Ant being a thing? Yes. So I remember b- being. And a yes, I remember being at a school Ooh. disco and everybody dancing to that, and they do the thing where they kind of cross their arms yeah. and march up, and and just being absolutely terrified. Like that was maybe yeah. like one of my first memories of feeling that maybe uh, a, a disco, that type of yeah. social occasion, isn't for me. Um, I found an old um, sort of diary exercise book and I've got an extract from it, for, oh, from it that I can ring you. So ready for this. This yeah. is 1981. Wow. It's my school diary. It says... And you were... So I would have been six. Uh, no, I was eight. Oh, eight. Eight years old, yeah. Um, on Saturday, when I woke up, I sat on my bed waiting for my mum to come home from work. Eventually, she did come home and I went downstairs to let her in. 
I got dressed, had Cocoa Pops for breakfast, and then went to the shop for 20 silk cut king size for my dad. <laughs> then I watched Get Set for Summer. Later, I watched Lucky Luke, a full-length feature film. I mean, <laughs> that is like a Swallows and Amazons yeah. childhood, isn't it? <laughs> full-length feature film. Full-length. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Were there, yeah. were there local cinema? The yeah, we used to go to the Majestic Cinema in Macclesfield, oh. which was just this one cinema. And it was, you know, back then people would queue around the block for fairly much any film that was on. It was one of these cinemas where the, the manager would wear a tuxedo and he'd be sort of patrolling the aisles for bad behaviour. And, you know, he'd say, right, you, early bath. Not that I was ever sent home for an early bath. The other thing I remember about it was there was a huge, it was such a strange thing to do. There was a, a, a local jeweller had bought them a clock and it was a fluorescent green clock right next to the screen. So while you were watching a film, you were constantly aware of this sort of sponsored bright green fluorescent <laughs> clock. But, you know, Star Wars was my big memory. My dad took me to the um, Odeon on Oxford Road in Manchester to see Star Wars, which would have been like 1977, 78 by the time we got it, I guess. And the the thing that I don't remember, but my dad remembers, is when Darth Vader came onto the screen. Bearing in mind that I'd never seen Star Wars, I'd just heard about it from other kids. When Darth Vader came onto the screen, I stood up, gasped like this, and went, oh! <gasps> Darth Vader. Really? Yeah. And I was just... cinema. Yeah, and I was just obsessed from that moment onwards with Star Wars. Like, if you were to talk to anybody who'd been in my class at primary school, that's probably the thing they'd remember about me. And what about holidays? Did you get away from Macclesfield very much? We'd, We'd go on sort of day trips and things, but like, you know... Certainly not a foreign holiday. No, never. No, when when we were when we was fifteen, my dad was made sort of medically redundant from the post office, and he used his redundancy to take us to Mallorca. But we wouldn't. We never really, maybe once or twice, but we never really went away overnight, even. And we'd go in the car to strange places, like we'd just go to Derby, and you know, go and play on a playground on the outskirts of Derby and then come back again. The first time I ever remember staying away from home was school had a trip to Delamere Forest and I was so excited to go. However, I was also a bedwetter. So I was very nervous about what what I'd do as a yeah. bedwetter. And how old have you been then? Again, probably nine or eight, eight, nine, yeah. this sort of age, yeah. Um, so my mum went to school and she explained the situation. So they said, don't worry, we deal with this kind of thing all the time. It's not going to be a problem. So we get to Delamere Forest and um, they've got a boy's dorm and a girl's dorm. The teachers say in front of everybody, Jeffrey is going to sleep in the girl's dorm with us. And I just already, I'm like, want to die. I'm cringing in embarrassment. And I think, please don't say I'm a bedwetter. It's the worst possible thing you can say, the teacher says. And he's going to stay in the room with us because he misses his mummy. I thought, God, if you, why not just say I'm a bedwetter? If you want to embarrass me in front of everybody, just tell them I'm a bedwetter. Like, it's the one worst thing that I miss my mummy. What did everybody say? You know, it was just, an, it was just another thing for people to sort of ridicule me for. for. Were you upset? Well, I've obviously remembered it for like 30 odd years, so it's stuck in there. But it was a nice trip to Delamere Forest. I recommend it if you ever ever fancy a forest getaway. The teachers, is it? No, I don't think there was much in the way of sensitivity back then, though. Why do you think you're. Was it just money that meant your parents didn't go on holiday or. Yeah, yeah. yeah, We went away once, I think, to North Wales, um, but there was never really. 
you know, we just didn't have money, but like no one had money. So you didn't, yeah. you didn't notice. I didn't know until I was a bit older, you know, anybody whose kids were even middle-class. So what, what, how would you spend your weekends? Um, well, apart from sort of going to the shop and, and getting um, silk cut from my, my dad, uh, I guess, you know, um, Going to the park, going to family functions, seeing my aunties and uncles. Used to go up the shops with my nan. In fact, I'd go and visit my nan, my mum's mum, Maggie, every Saturday. And she lived opposite a chippy. So it was great because, yeah, so I'd get chips on a Saturday. And then every now and again, my nan would say, for a special treat, I'm going to make you homemade fish and chips. Wow. They were awful. Oh. Because she had this chip pan, which, you know, do you remember... They used to just have sort of lard or fat or whatever it was that sat in the bottom of the you pan. Didn't like it at the time. Oh, it was awful. It was did like you, these chips were covered in gravel. Did you say to no? Because I had to pretty, you know, because it was a special treat. I felt like I had to make a big song and dance about how much I liked them and and how grateful I was Quite for the special even treat. Even at that age, yeah, how old you've been then. You know, all all this stuff. I'm guessing sort of eight nine. So you wouldn't have fish and chips and watch football focus. You see, I remember having fish and live, growing up in Leeds and. It would be a big treat to have fish and chips. So, Saturday lunch and then watch Football Focus. No, we the, the football, like my dad would have the football on, but I think probably part of the reason they'd send me to my nan's every Saturday was just like, so that he could watch the football yeah. in peace without me jinxing football it. Football Focus wasn't the football, it was just the preview of the football. I remember with the, Bob Wilson. I remember the results coming Grand in. That was always a five big... Five o'clock, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. 4.45. Yep. Um, so... Were you any club in any clubs, hobbies? No, once uh, my dad tried to get me, you know, uh, to make new friends. He said, why don't you join the train spotting club? So I did very briefly join the train spotting club. And we went, but I think like you've got this weird ginger haired bookish child. You're trying to sort of help him make more friends. Don't send him to a train spotting club. But we did, you know, we went to Birmingham New Street and stood on the end of a platform and ticked off some trains. That's pretty exciting. But the, the thing I got into was piano lessons. Oh. So I used to go to Miss, Mrs. Warrington, who was the local oh, wow. butcher's wife. Uh, I'd go and have piano lessons off her on a Saturday afternoon. Because um, we used to have a guy who came into our school called Mr. Cutbush, and he would come and play songs for us. And, and I loved it. you can play the piano? A little bit. And the one I remember from back then was um, When I'm 64 by the wow. Beatles, which I love the Beatles now, but my first knowledge of them was this When I'm 64, which I didn't even understand was a pop song. It just felt like, you know, my grandfather's clock or Amazing. John Brown's body line. A smouldering in the grave, but when I'm 64 was my first Beatles song. And what was your secondary school? Secondary, well, it was a funny one because when I was 11, I got on this um, government scheme to go to the local private school because I was I was bright. So the teachers, so assisted places, yeah. Um, and I didn't I didn't like it. I mean, I just didn't fit in very well there. And I, you know, my bedwetting came back. I was quite stressed. Um, uh, like the other boys would give me a hard time because of like my dad had come up, picked me up in the post office van and, you know, it was just not this great time. So I lasted about a year there. And then I went to the secondary school that I would have gone to anyway, which is called Riles Park, which got put in special measures and then closed down. So it's, it's no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no longer around. Um, but because I, so when I went to the posh school, I sort of got bullied for being a kid off the estate. And then when I went back to Riles Park, there were all these kids who didn't know me and they thought I must be posh because I'd come from the independent school. So it was... And was it, did it feel like a difficult thing to leave the posh school? No, it felt like such a relief because the thing was, 
in my family, it was seen as this huge yeah. thing. You know, just the fact yeah. that I was going to the school where you wore yeah. this type of uniform and maybe your yeah. opportunity, opportunities would be different to everyone else. So I sort of felt like I was letting everybody down, really. So it took me a long time to tell them how unhappy I was. Um, and once you did. And once I did, it was so, you know, so wonderful, you know, as you'd expect. But my family were wonderful. But then going to the uh, Ralph's part wasn't... Um, Where did you fit into the teenage ecosystem there? Well, let's, let's have a think about this. I mean, do you see me as a jock? Do you think I was a jock? Not really. <laughs> I don't see you as a nerd. Were you a nerd? I, th- I think I was a nerd, yeah. You, you didn't have a cool kid aspect to you no not at all not at all like when I went to when I sort of went to the secondary school Riles Park I was into like Hobbits and Lord of the Rings which was about as uncool a thing as you could be into now uh, then now it's all Game of Thrones and Peter Jackson and people talk about that as if it's the main but at the time like it couldn't have been I mean I think the only way I could have been unfashionable was maybe by being heavily into student politics and watching Labour Party conference videos about me here. Yeah. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Hello, me again. And if you're enjoying this chat with Ed, well, there's plenty more where this came from in previous episodes. We've had Peter Shilton, Anne Hegarty, Phil Jupiter, Shazia Mirza, Glenn Matlock, Tom Allen, Dave Gorman. And if you found this episode, you're probably a clever clogs and you can find those episodes too. So, uh, so do give them a listen so that I can get paid. Right, on with the show. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. At first crushes? Uh, my first crush was Rachel Leonard, who I used to, with my best friend Eddie, who lived next door, and um, a guy called Nick Hayes, who we used to call One Ball because he had some time off school to have an operation. So the rumour went round that he'd had a, a ball removed. And I think he'd just had his tonsils out or something. Right. But, you know, like the, these rumours yeah. go around school and they're difficult to shake off. And we would just sort of walk around in an evening past the houses of girls we liked. How old were you then? Uh, probably like 13. And I would walk past Rachel Leonard's house and I just adored her. And then one time I, I got the courage to ask her out and she said... I would go out with you, but all my friends would laugh at me. That's not great. No. I mean, there's a positive. There was a positive before she delivered sort of the killer blow. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. So what did you, were you very upset? Yeah, but you know. You've got over it. Well, I don't know that I have really. I don't know if she's listening. You've moved on. Uh, did you ever have a Saturday job, paper round? Yeah, all these things. I had uh, a paper round. Um, I used to deliver the Macclesfield Express advertiser on a Thursday and then the Sunday papers, which weighed a ton. My route was uh, along Brown Street and High Street. Uh, my friend Eddie worked in the news agents numbering up the papers. And as we got a bit older, he would slip uh, adult um, entertainment adult in magazine material. form, yeah, into, uh, which was a, a useful contact to have as a pre-internet teenager. Um, and then I had this job in a printer's after school. It was a pound an hour. It's called Williamson and Cooper. And they couldn't have been two very different men. One was sort of like a big gruff walrus of a man. And then that was Williamson and Cooper was this cool guy with sort of Miami Vice rolled up sleeves. He played keyboards in a band. And I had this job. To this day, I don't know what I was doing. And I've talked about this on radio and elsewhere, and nobody's ever been able to tell me what I was doing. So I'd have a huge pile of card 
And in the card were sort of indented shapes of either circles or crescents. And it was my job to take the circles and crescents out and put them in a pile. And I don't know what I was doing in there. The other thing that happened... Was it like some complicated money laundering scheme? Maybe it was. I did find a bag of sort of checks around the back of there once and took them to the police station because I was a conscientious teenager. Like never in in trouble. I always wanted to do the right thing. What did the police say? Nothing really. Nothing ever came of it. But the the sort of terrible thing that happened when I worked in the printers was I had bad spots, you know, as a spotty teenager. And um, one of the lads who worked there, a bit older than me, said, oh, listen, mate, I used to have spots, but... Uh, the the lads here they gave me this stuff and I put it on and uh, it, I've never had them since. I said, "Oh great!" He said, "Yeah, you should go over there and put some of it on your face." So I go over to where the sink is and I put all this stuff over my face. Two things happen. Firstly, everybody starts to laugh at me. Secondly, my face starts to burn. It was some kind of printing acid. That's pretty. Horrible. It was awful, but I mean, it was that type of workplace, you know. That, that what, what, we, banter. It was banter. Ed, did you? Did you? Did it cause lasting damage? Well, I didn't get... I mean, I don't know. Do you think... I mean, no. I think this beautiful face might have been even yeah, more beautiful. Yeah, the spots have gone. Uh, and so you did those kind of Saturday jobs and so on. When did you start thinking about what you wanted to do for a living? Because I'd always watched a lot of telly, sort of, I used to see people like Jonathan Ross when he did The Last Resort yeah. or Philip Schofield when he used to be on the uh, children's programmes and think that looked like a fun job. So I decided I wanted to be a TV presenter, I guess at sort of 13 or 14. And then, so I remember going and buying Look In. Do you remember the magazine? Yes, yes. Sort of like TV Times for yes. teenagers. And I would read interviews with these people and see how they started out. And they all started out in radio. So I thought, well, I'll start listening to the radio ah. then. So I started listening to Piccadilly Radio, the local station for Manchester. I just sort of became obsessed with it. I remember hearing, um, like sleeping with the radio on so that I could hear songs like Aztec Camera, Somewhere in My Heart, Hot House Flowers, Don't Go, Prefab Sprout, King of Rock and Roll. I would sleep with the radio on so I could hear them. And then I started doing hospital radio. And from the second I walked... What age? 14. The second I walked into a radio studio, I just didn't want to do anything else, like the smell of it, the buttons, everything. I was just sort of obsessed by it. How did you get into hospital radio at the age of 14? I just sort of wrote them a letter and they said, you can come and help out. So I'd, I'd go and I'd collect requests from the wards. I very quickly learned to go to the pregnancy ward or the sort of children's ward or the ward where somebody had maybe been like in a motorbike accident because they were more likely to pick pop records. Because if you went around the geriatric wards, they'd all want Jim Reeves and and Mantovani and like classical. Um, And then, you know, they let me have a show after a while because you have to do your time collecting requests. And I just became obsessed by it to the extent that I stopped working at school. I just lost all interest in school. It drove my mum and dad you know, insane because I'd been this sort of a student and then I didn't work from the minute I got into the radio onwards because that's what I wanted to do. And then I, I used to go to Piccadilly Radio in Manchester after school and answer the phones for the DJs. And when was your first big break on radio? I got to do a film review on Piccadilly Radio on one of the shows I answered phones for. And I got to... At what age was that? 15, maybe 16. It was a film with Peter Falk, who played Columbo, and maybe Emily Lloyd. It's called Cookie. I don't remember anything about the film, but I do remember that I got to take this girl, Nicola Bamford, with me on a date, and we kissed on the way home, and she would she had a Saturday job in the local McDonald's, and I would go and sit in the McDonald's, buy the cheapest thing on the menu, which was a carton of milk, and just sit and watch her mop up. 
what? while I waited for her to finish a shift. Then she finished a shift and said, look, I had a nice time last night, but I, I don't see this developing into anything. Mm. Yet another heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. And when did you move away from Macclesfield? It's when, when I'd got... Um, a job on radio, so 91, 92, I got a job on local radio in Stockport just up the road. So I moved into a bed sit in Heaton Moor um, in Stockport. But what was great is my mum would come and do my cleaning for me. Yeah. And like her and my dad would come and, and they would, you know, take my laundry home yes. to Macclesfield, then bring it all back again nicely ironed. And when, and when, you- when I moved to London... This doesn't reflect well on me. It doesn't. I know what's coming. <laughs> my mum used to stand on the... Pl- so I, I kept a flat in Manchester for the first year or two that I moved down here. I used to come back to see my friends on a weekend. My mum would be waiting on the platform at Macclesfield. Yes. I would pass my laundry out of the window to her. I would then go into Manchester, have a nice weekend. As I was coming back on the Sunday, she would be waiting on the platform. I mean, that speaks incredibly <laughs> well for your mother. And I used and to do yeah, incredibly badly. So I was sort of 27 at the time and I would just... 27? Justi- yeah, I would justify it, or maybe maybe not quite that, but I would justify it by saying, well, it's, you know, she likes to feel like she keeps Wanted. her hand in as a mother, mm. you know. We'll let the listeners decide on yeah. this, uh, make the moral judgments. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. How often do you go back to Macclesfield? <laughs> A bit more recently, because I've been doing some work in Manchester, I I did have the pleasure of turning on the Christmas lights in Macclesfield a few years ago. I sort of bullied my way into it. I gave an interview to the Metro newspaper and they asked me about Macclesfield and I mentioned that I felt a bit aggrieved that they'd never asked me to switch the Christmas lights on. So then they asked me, and I was talking about this on the radio, and it was this, it coincided with the coach trip to the Hot Brick. And it just so happened that the pop star Lily Allen was listening and um, she tweeted, oh, this sounds like fun. Maybe I'll come on the trip to Macclesfield. Macclesfield went nuts. The front page of the local newspaper was Lily Allen to turn on Christmas lights, question mark. So, and of course she was never going to. So when I turned up to turn on the lights at Macclesfield, it was like the biggest crowd. It was like the hot brick all over again. It was the biggest crowd the town had ever seen for this thing. And when I came on the stage and it wasn't Lily Allen, I mean, I could just... Feel the murmur of who? Who's that? Did he used to live up Hatton Street? Like going around the crowd, it was it was humiliating. It was humiliating. And if you had twenty four hours to spend in Macclesfield, what would you recommend apart from the hot brick? Well, I think definitely, yeah, the, definitely the site of the the brick, formerly known yeah. as the hot brick. I'd go to Brassington's Bakery, where their, their speciality is a a lemon bun filled with cream. Mm. Um, I don't think you know it's not the sort of thing you might see on the Great British Bake Off. Sounds nice. Though. Um, yeah, I mean. There's probably enough calories for a week in one of these buns. I'd go to Teg's Nose Country Park where I used to take my dog, Dusty. When I was a kid... I, I, you had a dog, you had a pet. Yeah, I, when I was a tiny, I had a, a dog called Toby who was almost feral. You know, if it was one of these, if you if somebody came to the front door, it would just bolt and then you wouldn't see it for days or you'd see right. it over the other side of town. And then we had this dog, dog Dusty, who I was <laughs> obsessed with. And I used to, from being about eight or nine, I used to take her to the park, but it was also the era where sort of fear of the bomb was at its worst. Do you remember you'd get all the public information films and Frankie Nuclear goes, war, yeah, Frankie goes to Hollywood, two tribes, you know, when the, when the four minute warning sounds. So I used to be like terrified of nuclear war as a kid. And I used to be in the park with the dog and just like having these really morbid thoughts that if, if the four minute warning starts now, I won't get home in time to die with my family. I mean, oh. That's just so bleak, isn't it? 
So you had pets. That's interesting. Yeah, we had a cat as well. Well, we had two cats for a while, but they they would sort of come and go. They're nice comfort for you. Yeah, like Dusty, Dusty and me were really, you know, really close. I got to name her. Um, Do you remember her dying? I was I'd moved out, you know, right. by the time in the washing. I was, yeah, yeah. My mum had taken charge of Dusty by that point. And, and if you could go back to one of the places we've talked about, as it was then, and, and wander around, maybe watch yourself as a, you know, young kid. What where would that be? The hot brick. Well, it might be the hot brick, but I think like the big family parties. Even though I said like I really dislike parties as an adult, I think I would go to one of like my mum's family, the Bartons, their family parties where, you know, there was dancing and there was a buffet and sliding around and being with all my cousins. Um, and my uncle Melvin doing the mobile disco, the Pony Express mobile disco. So you make it sound like with some insecurities, the bedwetting, the broken hearts, uh, <laughs> you make it sound like a relatively happy childhood. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Slightly high voice. <laughs> I think so. No, like, so I was definitely happy in my family. Yes. If, if I think about it, I do feel like I felt like I was a bit strange Alone, and a bit of an, a loner, a bit of an outsider. Um, but, you know, within my family, I, I felt a bit like this novelty, this little professor they would call me. But, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely happy. Did you have conflict as a teenager with your family? Well, I didn't think I did. So I don't think of myself as that type of teenager. Rebel. I never re- rebelled. But I suppose when I decided that I wanted to be on the radio, that in itself was a rebellion, rebellion. because I stopped working. At school, and I think you faked your school reports. Is that yeah, right? I did. Yeah, yeah, because because I'd stopped working at school, I would try and conceal from my parents really how badly things were going. And my form teacher was called Mrs. Friends. She was the music teacher, so she would let me and Eddie into the room to practice at, at break times. I'd play synthesizers, and he'd play drums. And I found the cupboard where she kept the report paper. And I stole a bunch of it and then wrote my own school. Because they didn't post them out. You just brought them home to your parents. So I, I ripped all the actual teachers' reports out. And then, I mean, I mastered about six different handwritings and wrote my own reports. And did your parents get well, taken in? Well, I tried to make them... A, so what I wouldn't do is make them all yeah, 1As. Yes, and make, brilliant. It, yeah, So I, I tried to... Jeffrey, yeah? Uh, yeah, to my mum, not yeah. really to anyone else. But... I'd, I'd try and make them realistic. Like Jeffrey's a very good student. He's very hardworking and clever. He could do this a bit better if he yeah. tried. He could chat a bit less. And I remember getting in trouble from my mum for reports that I had written myself. Did you, have you ever told her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did she say? You know, she laughs it off now. Things have sort of turned out fine. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Um, and can you finish by giving us one piece of music that reminds you of your childhood in Macclesfield? What, what would that be? Yeah, well, this is a funny one. So the first record I ever remember buying it wasn't as a teenager it was younger than that there was a record shop called bj's in macclesfield which was quite intimidating like it was full of smoke as places used to be back then and it was a fellow with long hair who ran it he was called barry and then his aged mother would sit on a stool knitting behind him Um, but i really wanted this record that I'd, i'd heard on the radio and if i look at my exercise books from primary school i've got drawings of kermit the frog singing it with a sort of speech bubble coming out of his mouth it was um video killed the radio star by the buggles Fantastic. Which I loved, and then my mum accidentally went over it with a hoover. Over the record? Yeah, and it broke. So it'll be nice to hear it again. Well, we're definitely happy to do that. Video killed the radio star. Jeff Lloyd, thank you so much for providing us your hometown glory. Thank you for having me. 
Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. Well, wasn't that fun? A stroll down memory lane for me, hand in hand with Ed Miliband. And what a way to end Series 3 of Hometown Glory. You can catch up on all the previous episodes and previous series in the same place you're listening to this. And if you haven't already, tune your digital radio to Union Jack Radio. They play the best British music and comedy, the Beatles, Blackadder, that kind of thing. Anyway, that's me done for another series. I don't like a long goodbye, so here's a short one. Goodbye.